Awesome. Thank you, choir. If you will, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 2. Mark, chapter 2, and I want you to hold your spot there. We're going to be getting there here just a little bit, but we're going to cover some other passages of Scripture as well. Mark, chapter 2, will be uh, one of the ones we'll focus on specifically. So we're continuing in a series today uh, called Road Trip. We started it a few weeks ago, and uh, really just kind of looking at the parallels between uh, an actual road trip and our journey through life and our journey specifically uh, with Christ as believers and as followers of Jesus. And so how many of you have already taken a road trip, literally, like you've packed into the car, you've gone somewhere this summer? How many of you have already done that already so far? That's good. How many of you have a time yet to come later this summer? You're going to be road tripping or uh, ocean tripping if you're a cruiser or whatever. And uh, how many of you have no plans and it's been way too long since you've been on a road trip? Let me see your hands, all right? In the first service, those were the hands that went like, they like shot up really, really really fast. So we can all relate to the whole concept of a road trip, but we've never thought about it in regards to our journey with Christ or our journey through life. So some of the parallels, first week we started this series, uh, we looked at a message titled Hit the Road. And in the same way that every road trip starts with a definitive starting point when you leave the driveway and begin that journey, uh, our relationship with God is the same way. We don't back into it. We don't find ourselves accidentally somehow in a relationship with God. It starts at a definitive starting point. And that starting point is when we turn from our sin and invite Jesus to forgive us and take over. And we, we invite him to save us, to be our Lord, to be our Savior. That's the starting point. That's where we hit the road in our journey with God. And, and then the second week in the series, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a message titled Travel Partners. And in the same way, when you hit the road, uh, you've got other people usually with you. It's friends or it's family, kids, spouse, grandparents, whoever. Uh, well, we've got travel partners too. In our journey with, with God as believers, we've got other Christians around us that we're on this journey together and God himself, right? We've got the Holy Spirit in us who goes with us everywhere we go. He's with us. Never do we ever find ourselves in a place where we're ever alone. And, and then in the third week of the series, last Sunday, we looked at a message titled Baggage. And in the same way that you pack your luggage before you hit the road, we sometimes accumulate baggage along the way of the journey. Things like unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, things like that that we sometimes accumulate, right, along the journey that God, by his grace, thankfully, not only unpacks it, but he just gets rid of it. He discards it completely by his grace through our relationship with Jesus. And so we talked about that last Sunday. Well, today we're going to add to the series message number four in this series called Road Trip with a message simply entitled Rest Stop, Rest Stop. So <clears throat> whenever I was preparing this message this week, I, um, I, I came across some, uh, some research that was done that I want to share with you in just a second. But before I do that, you know, I, I, wanna, I want you to just kind of imagine in your mind for a second a scene that has probably unfolded in your life numerous times. Imagine that uh, maybe you're out to dinner or you're going out shopping, you're at the mall, or you're at Walmart or Target or somewhere like that, uh, maybe downtown, and uh, imagine that you bump into somebody you haven't seen in a few weeks or maybe even a couple of months. It's somebody you know, I mean, it's not like you haven't seen each other for years, it's just been a while. And, and as you bump into each other, either over dinner in that restaurant or downtown as you're walking around downtown, uh, inevitably they ask the question, so what you been up to? right? That comes out usually when you bump into somebody you haven't talked to in a while. Hey, what you been up to? Nine times out of ten, you're probably going to respond to that question with an answer that says, man, I've just been staying busy. All right? Hey, what you been up to? Hey, just staying busy, 
right? That's kind of the, 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 the catchphrase. That's the typical response. And if we're not staying busy, then we feel guilty for not being busy, and we tell a lie and say, you know, just staying busy, right? Because it's almost like we place this emphasis on it. Interestingly, when people are walking through the journey of grief, if they've lost a loved one, Interestingly, if you were to ask that person, hey, how are things going for you? How are you doing now? It's been a few weeks or it's been a few months. Often the response is going to be exactly the same. It'll be this, you know what, I'm just keeping myself busy. And often what we do is we place this, um, this, this pedestal beneath the concept of being busy to the point to where we think it's going to uh, you know, heal our hurts. And, and even beyond that, it's almost like we idolize the concept of being busy to the point to where we, we think it kind of adds another layer, another status layer to ourselves in many ways as, as well. And it, it, you know, we don't want to own up to the fact that, you know what, maybe I'm not as busy as the next guy. And so we, we sometimes kind of drop in there about how busy we are and how full our calendar is. And, and uh, interestingly, there was research done, and it was done on behalf of H&R Block by another company. I don't know why H&R Block had this particular research done. Yes, they're the, the tax people, but this had nothing to do with taxes necessarily. But it was an article written in 2019 of a survey of 2,000 people done on behalf of H&R Block. And in the survey, 2,000 people that responded, 59% of Americans admitted that it was difficult to find balance between their work life and their personal life. 59%. 59 out of 100 said, you know what, it's difficult. Not just a challenge, it is difficult to navigate that balance between my work life and my personal life. In fact, in that same survey, this is amazing, I want to read this to make sure I get it right. It said the average participant claimed only 26 minutes of free time per week. 26 minutes of free time per week. And you think, there is no way. Come on, seriously? 26 minutes. I have no idea how they, how they figured this out. 26 minutes of free time on average of these 2,000 people per week. Harvard Business Review did another separate study on the whole concept of busyness, and it was interesting. They had this whole framework of how they did this, and uh, uh, they, they learned from this particular study that, that they did, the Harvard Business Review, that of people who were considered as busy versus people who were considered as people of leisure, right, that the ones who were busy were held at a higher, higher level of status than the people who were considered to be people of leisure, and there's this misconception when you think about it, right, with busyness. The busyness adds to our importance. Busyness adds to our status. Busyness is something that we have to be engaged in. And if we're not careful, we're not talking about laziness here, but if we're not careful, we will begin to idolize the whole concept of what it means to be busy and, and why we're busy in the first place and what's underlying all of that to the point to where it can become incredibly unhealthy. In this message, I'm just going to go ahead and say, you're going to be tempted to say, well, Brooks, what does this have to do with the Bible? Oh, it has a lot to do with the Bible. We're going to get there in just a second. Well, Brooks, what does this have to do with Jesus? Oh, it has a whole lot to do with, with Jesus. You know, how is this even a spiritual topic? I mean, why are we even talking about this? Oh, it's an incredibly spiritual topic, as we're going to see in the passages that we ultimately pull out. And by the way, let me just say, it, it, it's, it's funny when you think about it, not being junior psychologist or sociologist here, but our smartphones really haven't helped in this. And I'm not one to go railing on smartphones. I've got one. But they really haven't, they really haven't helped. Imagine going back 25 years and somebody sits down with you, or however long it's been now since they've been in existence, and imagine that they sit down with you and they say, hey, listen, I've got this idea. 
All right. Now, imagine this is before any smartphones have come on the market. Imagine they sit down with you. They lay out all these charts and graphs and, and, and pictures and drawings, and they say, I've got this idea, this concept, that, that, that I'm going to create a phone. I'm going to design a phone. And you're not going to have to go to the store anymore. You can shop from it. You're not even going to have to talk to people. You're going to just be able to text them. You're going to be able to do research. You're going to know the weather. You're going to know who won the game last night. You won't have to do much of anything at all. Hey, you want to get in on this? And imagine you would say, this is going to make my life so much easier, right? It seems like it. It sounds like it. But has it really made our lives much easier at all? It really kind of hasn't. And again, I'm not this angry guy railing on smartphones, but I'm just saying they really haven't made it a whole lot easier. In fact, to the point to where our phones oftentimes steal the whole concept of rest from us, don't they? Because you're in the grocery store, and you're not just like standing there three, three, you know, people back behind the guy with a full, you know, overflowing cart with finally maybe 10 minutes of downtime of just, just rest. No, you can't stand there in that line of car. You got to be researching. Yeah, you got your phone out. You're like scrolling through stuff and you're checking your email and, and uh, you're shooting off a quick text right for work or, or you're checking to see this or see that or what have you. There's really no rest even there. And in the, in the car, it used to be where, okay, I sound like I'm railing, but I'm really not. So it used to be where you could drive 20 minutes to work, 20 minutes back, and that was kind of time to collect your thoughts and Get ready to step back in the door when you get back home after a busy day of work. Now you're making phone calls, right? You, you, you got it all set up with your Bluetooth. You don't even have to touch the phone because that's illegal anyway, right? And, and you're making those phone calls. You're calling your client list, and you're hitting this person, that person, that person, to the point to where really that 26 minutes of free time, you kind of see how it really does get there. And it seems as though, in a sense, our phones, the very thing that we're supposed to make life easier, has served to make things a little bit busier. I was eating at a fast food restaurant a few weeks ago, and um, <laughs> it's funny because sometimes I'll get out of the office, and I'll go, and I'll like work on sermons or whatever, because I, I can just think better when I've got a Chick-fil-A sandwich in my mouth. And so, uh, so I was there, and it was funny because I'll try to get me a, a back booth if I can, plug in and just start doing my work, and it's the work day and all that. And, and, uh, but you see workers that go on break, and it's interesting because when they go on break, now I know you can't just sit there and do literally nothing, but immediately as soon as they sit down and start eating, man, they got those phones out, you know? And it's busy because you kind of wonder. They're probably thinking, like, what can I post here? And I'm going to make a comment on that. I want to check this out and get all riled up over the political climate, do this, do that, right? And it seems like we really do not have margin in our lives the way that we should. And we don't think about it because that's not one of those overtly spiritual topics like prayer or worship or Bible study or serving. You know, rest doesn't seem to fit there. And so we don't think about it, and it gets away and we suffer. But literally, it is a spiritual topic. Jesus had something to do with it. God himself in, in creation modeled this for us to the point to where it, we realize when we dig in a little bit that it very much is a spiritual topic. And so this morning, we're looking at this message titled, Rest Stop. I'm going to give you about three principles to consider and to chew on. And here's the first one that ties into this. We sometimes, in fact, I would say maybe not sometimes, but we often miss the journey. Remember, rest stop, our, our uh, road trip, we're looking at the similarities between literal road trips and journeys and our journey with Jesus, our journey through life. And in the same way that when we take a road trip, we sometimes miss the beauty of the journey because of busyness that happens in our spiritual lives as well. We really do sometimes miss the beauty 
of the journey because of busyness. I've mentioned before, maybe you had a dad back when you were a kid and you'd go on vacation, or maybe you're sitting here and your dad's in the room and he is this guy. You, know, it, you couldn't stop. You, know, you couldn't stop anywhere. It was all about, hey, I know we've got to get to Omaha you know, uh, overnight and we're in Savannah, but we're just going to put our head down. We're not stopping, right? And it was like 15 hours on the road without any stopping, without any you know, uh, rest break or any of that kind of stuff. Maybe you had a dad not quite that bad. That was just sort of it. And what happened was you kind of missed the journey and, and, and you cultivated this mentality that rest was not a good thing, right? You got point A, you got point B, you got to put your head down, you got to grind this thing out, and you got you to get there. Well, it's interesting because literally on a road trip, there are opportunities designed for rest, to facilitate rest, and they're called rest stops. Now, they're not as vogue today as they were back in the day, but you still see them on the interstates, these rest stops that are there. And they're literally designed, they're built in. I'm sure someone with the DOT had the idea to begin with to say, you know what, let's put these little places in order to help create greater highway safety and to help facilitate um, you know, better health with the drivers and to cut down on accidents. Let's build these places designed to where they are rest stops along the way. That's what they're there for. They're built in to the journey. Sometimes they, they look a little bit like this. You're driving down the road on 95 or on I-16 or somewhere else out in the Midwest, and you'll see this little sign, a rest area. Sometimes, you remember these, you don't see these as much anymore. Th th these are the kind of the, the somber ones that say, last rest stop for 73 miles. And you're thinking, we might die if we don't take this rest stop. You know, no more Skittles for 73 miles. You know, are you kidding me? And so they start like this. Sometimes the rest stops are very, very simple. I mean, here's one that's pretty simple. I think I've been in this one on the trip to New Orleans. It seems like that very first one. It seems like, you know, they're just kind of a little overhang. They've got picnic tables. A lot of times these rest stops, they'll have vending machines, and, and you can get your snacks. You get a little Coke. You can go in and use the restroom. You can freshen up a little bit. They've got maps, big old gigantic maps on the wall, right? And, and they're designed, again, for you to come off the beaten path and to just get a little bit of rest. Sometimes these rest stops are pretty creative. Here's one in New Jersey. It's the John Bon Jovi rest stop. And if you go into this when there's an actual hologram of John Bon Jovi, that's pretty, pretty interesting, right? So uh, it's in New Jersey, which he has a little bit of a tie to. But then outside of these, there are the more modern rest stops, kind of like this, the Bucky's. Yes. Yes. So how many of you have ever been to a Bucky's? All right, put your hands down. How many of you have not experienced this blessing? Let me see your hands. Okay, you need to hit the road, and you need to get yourself to a Bucky's. All right, so I, the, the, I've been to a Bucky's like twice, and uh, they could build one right out at 95 and 16, and it just wouldn't be the same. You just got to kind of like, you got to know like, hey, we're going to such and such a place, and there's a Bucky's along the way. You know, it just sort of goes with it. Well, we were going to Alabama last summer for an AAU basketball game uh, tournament, and, and it was my first trip into a Bucky's, and I went in. There's about 3,027 acres of, uh, of gasoline pumps for the first part and a gigantic parking area, and it was in Leeds, Alabama, outside of Birmingham, and so we go in, and, uh, and <laughs> I actually filmed a video <laughs> before we went in. I started the video a little ahead of time. I'm such a nerd, and, uh, and so I was filming the video in there. The kids loved it, right? Not really, and so I got, I got this video going. Well, I bought me a shirt in there, and it's got this logo, the little Bucky's uh, logo up there, and it's a red shirt. I cannot wear that shirt anywhere without somebody along the way seeing my shirt and just, yeah, sometimes I hear it as I'm walking by, like, bookies. <laughs> it's like, woo, you know, rocking the shirt. We got all kind of stuff. Bucky's is like the modern rest stop because they have more gas pumps than you've ever seen in your life. 
You can get a barbecue sandwich. You can get beef jerky. You can get a toothbrush. I mean, you can get floor cleaner, an outdoor grill, and a tent, and everything else that goes with it. That's what Bucky's is, okay? It's the modern rest stop. And it is, again, it's this opportunity to say, this journey is a bit of a grind. I need a break. Let me just kind of whip off and take a little bit of rest. Now, let me just pause there to interject something. This is the second principle that I want us to consider today. There's this mistaken notion that if we take a break, that somehow the journey has been placed on temporary hold, and the rest part does not apply. That is not true. That was the concept of your dad, right? We got to get to where we're going. We can't stop the journey to hit the rest stop. And that is backwards thinking. Here's the thing. Look at this second principle. Rest is not time away from the journey. It is actually part of the journey itself. We got to wipe this whole notion of if I take a break, if I rest, if I create boundaries in my life to help decrease my level of busyness, then somehow I am, I am stepping off the path. I am taking uh, you know, time off of the journey. We got to wipe that mentality away. Rest is not time off of the journey. It is part of the journey itself. Listen, when you're traveling south on 95 and you cross the state line and you get into Florida, man, I'm telling you, it's part of the journey. You got a welcome station. You get free orange juice, all you can drink. You know what I'm talking about? You go in there. Susie and I were on the road to, uh, we were in Dublin. We were headed to Milledgeville. I don't know, about a year ago or so, I guess, and we had stopped it. I think it was the Wendy's. I might be wrong, but I think it was the Wendy's there in Dublin headed towards Milledgeville. And uh, we finished eating, and, and uh, I saw this welcome station, right, right literally on the other side of the parking lot. And I don't know why, but it was like, let's just go in and see what they got. They, get, they had free coffee. I was there for four hours. Not really, right? But it's part of the journey. When you take these little stops, they are part of the journey itself. It's not like you're saying, I'm, I'm going to step off the path and the journey ends here until I pick it back up again. No, that rest is part of the journey itself. And it's interesting because when you look in Scripture, you see that this is the mentality of Jesus himself. It's not we've got a journey, let's keep our heads down, boys, saying to his disciples, because we need to see people step into a relationship with God, no time for rest. That was not the mentality. In fact, look at what it says here in Mark chapter 6. Still hold your spot in chapter 2, Mark chapter 6. And look at what it says here. This is a part of Mark's uh, gospel capturing for us a little bit of Jesus' ministry. Mark 6 Verse 30, it says, the apostles gathered together with Jesus. So he's there with his disciples, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And so they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. You know what's on the heels of that passage right there? It's the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus would have known, by virtue of being God, what was coming next. His disciples would not have. And in the grand scheme of things, built into the journey, not separate from the journey, built into the journey was this opportunity at Jesus' command to come away to a secluded place and to rest. He knew, in just a matter of moments, there were going to be people in the thousands 
pressing in on them, and those people in a matter of hours would be starving hungry with no opportunity to eat. And that he would do one of the greatest miracles that people still talk about to this day, feeding 5,000 plus miraculously. And immediately preceding this, he tells his disciples, let's come away and let's get some rest. You go over one gospel to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and verse 16. Here's Luke's take. He says the news about him, about Jesus, was spreading even farther. Large crowds were gathering to hear him, to be healed of their sicknesses, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. This was part of his ministry. It's not like Jesus said, all right, we've got to, I've got to preach X amount of messages because we're going to need some content for the New Testament. People need to hear the gospel. And I'm going to do X amount of miracles, and I've got to be sure, you know, three people I'm going to be raising from the dead. I'm going to be turning water into wine. I'm going to be walking on the sea. I'm going to be uh, overcoming nature, proving that I'm God. I've got all these things to do, and then at the end, I've got, uh, I've got my crucifixion, then my resurrection, then my ascension. You know, time is short. I've only got three, three and a half years of public ministry. Got to get all this stuff done. No time for rest. That's not the way he operated. These are just two examples of what I believe would have been many experiences where Jesus would say, it's time to pull away. It's time to create these boundaries. It's time for us because Jesus was 100% God, yes, but 100% man also. Luke, uh, or John chapter 4, if you remember, when he meets the woman at the well and he's sitting there in the middle of the day, it's in the heat of the day. She comes to draw water. If you remember her story, she had a bit of a past. She needed to be set free. You talk about baggage. She had it. Jesus was about to set her free from that baggage. And yet, what does John tell us in John chapter 4? That he's sitting there at that well. This is Jesus. This is God sitting there. And it says that he was tired. He had a physical, uh, there were times when Jesus would have been physically exhausted. 100% God, but also 100% man. And he needed rest. And here's the interesting thing. When you go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, in the second chapter of this big book, God patterns for us what rest looks like by himself. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts by the seventh day. God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So the whole concept of rest goes all the way back to God's creative work. It was worked in, right? It was worked into God's activity, it's not like God said, all right, I'm going to create, then I'm going to step off of the creative path, and you know, I'm just going to chill for a bit, and then I'm going to get back to creating. It was part of it. It was part of the design. There weren't six days and then some random day, like some leap year day or something. No, seven days in the week. The week reflected the, the day that God rested. You move to the next book of Scripture, the book of Exodus, you find that God's going to give ten commandments that, that he passed on to Moses for his people. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 8, 
It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days, right, this commandment harkens back to the creative account. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now here's something interesting. So does that mean then that we continue to treat the Sabbath the way they did in the Old Testament? Not necessarily. We'll get to that in just a second. Of the Ten Commandments that we read here, I think it's significant that all nine are affirmed in the New Testament except for one, and the one that's not is this one. I think it's also interesting that in the book of Acts, after the church is born in Acts chapter 2, the only time that you see people gathering, meeting, literally on the Sabbath, were those who were either Jews or Gentile converts to Judaism. It's not Christians. You hold that also up against what Jesus would say in Mark chapter 2. This is where you're holding your spot. So let's take a look and see something that Jesus would say in Mark chapter 2. We're going to go down to verse 23. Now this is a, a scene out of Jesus's ministry. We're talking about the Sabbath, right? Jesus caught a lot of flack from the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who would eventually have a role in crucifying him. One of the slams against him, as he claimed to be God, was that he dishonored the Sabbath. Listen to what Jesus says, and what you're going to see here is a bit of a shift, kind of from Old Testament to New Testament. It doesn't mean that none of the Old Testament is applicable, we're not saying that at all, but a different view of the Sabbath specifically. Mark chapter 2, verse 23, it says, And it happened that he, Jesus, was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to pick their way along, to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? The Pharisees had added a whole bunch of laws to God's law. You can virtually do hardly anything on the Sabbath. Verse 25, and he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and he ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and he also gave it to those who were with him. And then listen to these shocking statements. Jesus makes two. Verse 27, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man. Right? Think rest stop. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for Sabbath, for the Sabbath. Verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You know what Jesus seems to be saying here? is that the Sabbath was created for our benefit. God modeled it. We read of it in, even in Jesus' ministry. He would take the concept of it, step away with his disciples or by himself. But the Sabbath was a shadow of the reality of who Jesus is. Because when Jesus would come and when he would die and when he would rise again, 
as people place their faith in him, what we find is, is that he is our rest, right? We don't work for our salvation. We don't strive for his approval. We don't earn anything from him, including his blessings, right? That he is our rest. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about this to the point to where there's going to be a day when the followers of Jesus will get to our destination place, that being heaven, which is the eternal rest. And that is language that we read of in different ways in the New Testament. And so Jesus is, is painting this picture that he is Lord of the Sabbath. This is where the Pharisees missed it. The Pharisees, like, it's all about the Sabbath. What are you doing healing on the Sabbath? Who do you think you are to help somebody on the Sabbath? It's all about the Sabbath. Don't you know this? And Jesus' mentality as God was, (laughs) it's not about serving the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for you as your benefit. And then he would, we'd find later in the New Testament, Paul, as he's writing in the book of Colossians, look at, look at what Paul says here, even a little bit, uh, um, in some ways, even more strongly, Colossians 2, verse 16, he says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. He's not saying eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want. or any, He's not saying that. He's just saying no one is to act in your judge there. Verse 17 Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. See, Paul fills in that gap there. He says the Sabbath, because he names it in verse 16, he says the Sabbath is a, it, it's a shadow pointing to the person of Jesus. And now that Jesus is here, we don't, we don't treat the Sabbath the same way they did back in the Old Testament. We treat it a little bit differently. Right? To the point to where Jesus would not only say in Mark 2, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, but it was made for you. It was a rest stop built in for your benefit. This is the principle that comes out of it. Look at this last principle this morning. Principle number three, that even though the Old Testament command regarding the Sabbath does not apply any longer, the concept of it still does. I remember when I was a kid, the church where I grew up, <clears throat> There was a ball field, a lot of property. There was a ball field there. They had a ball field. And I still remember as a little kid, they had a sign on the backstop of that baseball field that said, no Sunday playing. That's interesting, right? Because I don't think in Genesis or Exodus, I don't know from God's perspective necessarily, especially for us in the New Testament, if having fun with your friends or your family out on the ball field necessarily would have broken the Sabbath. (laughs) But that's the way this church did it. No Sunday playing. Don't you dare be out here enjoying anything (laughs) on the Sabbath. It kind of ingrained this mentality that I wrestled with early on in my Christian life. It's like, well, what can I do? I mean, I guess you go to church and you worship and you you pray and I guess I can't really do anything enjoyable. That's not the picture that God has for this. That in regards to the whole command in the Old Testament, that command and the way it was given no longer applies, but the concept of it still does. I read a book years ago, I read it twice actually, called Leading on Empty by a man named Wayne Cordero, uh, pastor um, New Life Christian Fellowship in Honolulu, Hawaii. Right? How many pastors have sent their resumes to that church, I'm sure? Right? Honolulu, boy, this is awesome. He actually went through a season of burnout in his life and uh, significant burnout. 
And, and there's an illustration he gives in this book that really has just resonated with me. It stuck with me. I was having a conversation with someone just a week or so ago about this very thing. And he gives this picture uh, of, uh, of how we all have a tank in our lives, right? Every one of us, you, wherever you sit today, you've got a tank in your life. That, that, that tank is what kind of fills you, right? Uh, it, it helps you to, to have a sense of contentment and, and joy and all the things that are good, right? You've got that tank in your life. And every single one of those tanks, it has a, it has a drain plug at the bottom and it has a reservoir at the top. And on a daily basis, that tank in your life is either being drained or it's being filled or both. And what he said about his life in this book was, he said, because he was constantly draining, he was always engaging with others, and he was pouring into others, and he was giving of himself, and he was a hard driver, and he had no margin in his life, that eventually that tank ran empty because there was nothing that was pouring in from the top to keep it filled. And he, he ultimately hit the wall in a season of burnout in his life because of that very concept. And every one of us have a tank that needs to be filled because it's constantly being draining. And what drains your tank is different for everybody. For some of you, maybe it's administrative stuff. Maybe for some of you, it's conflict, right? If conflict drains your tank and it just like that steals your joy and brings you to rock bottom and you happen to be in a place in your marriage where there's conflict or conflict in your family or conflict in your workplace, listen, you need to have something to refill that and you need to have that soon. And every one of us have different things that fill our tank. For some, it may be actually taking a little bit of a trip, a little bit of a getaway. For others, it may be a hobby. It may be hitting the golf course or lifting or going for a jog. For others, it may be sewing or it may be doing some type of craft or, or it may be yard work or what have you, right? But the concept there is that even though we don't treat the Sabbath as though we're its slave, it was created for us, it's a rest stop designed for our lives, that we still have a tendency sometimes as hard drivers or because of life, maybe you're a single mom, maybe you're a parent with kids that are small, maybe you're at a setting or a stage in life where it seems as there are always responsibilities, there's always things to do. Maybe you're a business owner and your, your mentality is, you know what, if I don't push it, it's not going to move. If I don't push it forward, it's not going to move forward and I got to be over their shoulder all the time and they're not going to do the things that they need to be done doing unless I'm over their shoulder. And, you know, it's just do this and do that, do this and do that. And if that's where you are and your tank is constantly being depleted, you've got to find what's going to ultimately fill it. You think, Brooks, this is not a very biblical topic. It's incredibly biblical. Well, Brooks, this doesn't seem to have any real spiritual issue. You know, why are we talking about the whole concept of rest and business? Because the Bible talks about it. God instituted it. Jesus displayed it. And the gospel or, or the New Testament talks about it. It's a spiritual part of our life. And if we don't build the concept of the Sabbath rest into our, the fabric of our lives, we are going to either, more than likely, go through a season of discouragement at best, depression at worst, hit the wall in burnout, or ultimately fall prey to idolatry because everything we're working for is ultimately more important than actually spending time with God and pulling away. Right? And there are a lot of other roads that could lead down as well. And so it's this picture, this picture of a need for rest in our lives. It's not time away from the journey, it is part of the journey. The concept of the Sabbath rest still applies today. And sometimes that final principle, the third principle, is that we miss 
we miss, or actually it's the first principle, we miss the beauty of the journey when we don't take those rest stops along the way. Maybe for you, you remember driving along certain scenic stretches of highway up in the Blue Ridge Mountains, Blue Ridge Parkway, or maybe you're out in the Rockies or driving along the seacoast, and maybe you've seen a little scene like this, these little pullovers that are designed. Let's go ahead and bring that picture up if we can. Little pullovers that are uh, designed as part of the roadway where you can just kind of come in. It's not a rest stop. It's a pullover. It's a scenic overlook. And you pull over and you get your family standing right there in that spot. And you, you get somebody to take your picture. And you got this amazing background of God's handiwork and the mountains and, and uh, just the incredible scenery. And, and the whole reason you saw it was because you, you took, a, took a little jut off the path. And it wasn't separate from the journey. It was part of the journey. Now you've got pictures and you've got memories. And back in the 70s and 80s, right, you, your, your parents would, would get those, that film out and they'd wind it, and they'd run down to Kmart and they'd turn it in and, and they wouldn't see it for two and a half weeks. <laughs> and then somehow when they asked, you want doubles with this? They weren't thinking. It was like, yeah, give me doubles. And they came to get it. It was like $43.18 right, for these pictures. that really only like two that turned out. But it's stuff like this. My parents took pictures like this all the time. We take pictures like this. And it wasn't because it was separate from the journey. It was a, it was a rest moment designed as part of the journey to come away, build a memory, just take a moment to pause and recharge. And it's very much rooted in the pages of Scripture. So I want to close with two quick questions for you just to chew on. Maybe today, right now, obviously, maybe even the rest of this week, maybe have conversation with some others to get their input. First question to grapple with. Let's go ahead and bring that first question up if we can. Where do you need to build margin into your life today? Where, where is it? Like, what stage of life are you in right now, and how badly do you need some margin? Have you ever tried to read a book without margins? They're unreadable. You can't do it. You can maybe get through a page, and your eyes are going to be hurting. Your head's going to start hurting. It's just unreadable. I mean, our, our, our eyes are designed <laughs> you know, to, to, to expect there to be margin on the page when we read a book. A book without margins is unreadable. A life without margins is in trouble. So where can you design and build in some margin into your life as, a, as an individual, as a parent, as a spouse, as a friend, as a business owner, whatever it is that you do, where do you need margin in your life? How can you build that in? And then the second question, the final question for today, another one to grapple with, how can you customize the Sabbath concept? You weren't made for the Sabbath. It was made for you, right? How can you customize that whole concept of the Sabbath into your daily routine, your weekly routine, and your monthly routine? What can you do during the day? I had a friend of mine, when I first started in ministry, I worked with middle and high school students in a little church uh, across town. And I remember um, I was in my 20s. There was a guy that was older than me. He had teenagers. Two of his kids were in, my, in, my, in the youth group there at the church that I was responsible for. And, uh, and so I remember one time him telling me, he said, you know what, when I get off of work and I'm stressed because he worked in kind of a high-stress job, he said, when, when I get home, he said, I don't go see my wife. I don't go see the kids. I go straight to the, be- to the back, to the bedroom. And I take about 30 minutes just to, just to chill. And then I'm ready, right? Meaning I'm a better husband, I'm a better dad, I'm a better person when I've taken that time away. Now, I don't know if you need that necessarily. You might want to ask your spouse or your kids if you need that. That might be helpful. But what can you do on a daily basis just to customize that concept of the Sabbath? What can you do each week? 
Is there a way for you to be able to, to get away? Is there a, a way for you to be able to put some boundary around you? Maybe it's turning off that phone at night. Maybe it's turning it off at a certain time. Maybe it's not bringing it to the dinner table. Maybe, maybe it's doing some other things. And then what can you do monthly? I mean, if it's been a while since you've done anything to just get away, you don't have to go to some exotic location and dump a bunch of cash, right, to go on a vacation. You can find a way, right here locally even, where you can create those boundaries, build that margin, and just get away like Jesus did with his disciples and just recharge a little bit. It's not part, it's not separate from the journey. It's part of it. And if we don't take it, We're going against the picture that God painted for us in his word. We're going against the model that Jesus set for us in his ministry. And we're ultimately doing ourselves and the people we love a lot of harm because we weren't designed to go full bore with no margin. We were designed because we're we're fallible people who are not like God. We're not omnipotent. We're not omniscient. We're not omnipresent. We are designed for margin. Not laziness, but margin. So how can you help to implement that Sabbath concept in your life because rest stops are part of the journey? And if you don't know Jesus to begin with, but you're ready to start that journey with God, it doesn't start when you drive a little harder and do a little better. It starts when you take a pause and say, Jesus, I've blown it. I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. Would you forgive me and save me and take over? And he'll do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for for the moments in your word when we realize that every part of life has a component of holiness. Lord, it may seem a little bit odd that we look at a, at a message that doesn't deal so much with prayer or worship or attending church or serving others. But we look at something like rest because we're, we're so busy. When people say that they only have 26 minutes of, of downtime a week, Lord, that's problematic. Sometimes we like to flaunt how busy we are and we like to put out there, you know, we've been so busy and it's almost as though the busier we are, the more important we are, the more effective we are. But Lord, in your ministry, Jesus, when you walk this earth, you are not afraid nor ashamed to say, you know what, boys, we need a break. It's time to rest. And you modeled for us something that is spiritual in nature. You modeled something for us that is biblical in nature. And you modeled something for us that has very practical implications both when we apply it and when we don't. Lord, there's not a one of us here that wants to rust out from being lazy and not a one of us that wants to burn out from hard driving too hard. Lord, we want to have balance in a way that honors you. Help us to see it in this part of our lives and to do what we need to do to build that margin and in it to glorify you. And for those that don't know you, Lord, we pray that as soon as, as, soon as possible, They'll see you for who you are, Jesus, as Lord, not just of Sabbath, the Sabbath, but of life. And may they make the decision for you as they invite you to be Lord of their lives as well. Thank you for all you do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.